five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of Culture Clash here on the Fandom Podcast Network. we got a big show for you today. We've got, of course, familiar faces, returning guests, and a long-lost face making their return to the Fandom Podcast Network. But, of course, it all starts with my brother from another mother, Fandom Podcast co-founder, Network co-founder, Mr. Kevin Reitzel. Culture Clash Live, baby. Here we are. How you doing, brother? I am doing better than I was a week ago. A lot has happened since the last Culture Clash Live we did um let's see my kansas city chiefs won the super bowl yeah that's a good thing yeah. um i got knocked down with covid at the same time <laughs> it was a covid filled super bowl for me um we 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 had Picard. you'll never forget that super bowl <laughs> yeah that, that that's that's for sure um picard season three started um mm-hmm. we're that much closer to the premiere of the mandalorian so Ant-Man, Wasp Quantumania came out. A lot of stuff's happening in fandom. But, Kevin, there's a lot of stuff happening here just right on the Fandom Podcast Network. Yeah, we do. First of all, uh, we're excited that uh, we're going to be discussing The Last of Us today with our uh, special guest, John Mosby, who we'll have on here shortly. A little bit of good evening here, of course, with Tom coming on soon. But, yeah, we've got a lot of stuff that's going on. I'm really excited about John Wick 4 after seeing a couple of the new behind-the-scenes stuff going on. I'm excited for Creed, a bunch of other things. I'm really, really excited. Now, I, I do want to ask you something, Kevin, real quick, because it, ca- it happened late yesterday. Um, I didn't, I can't remember the name of the film, but Matt Clifton posted a trailer, or maybe you did for a movie. Um, I think it's a Swedish film with um, a little gold mining, a little Nazis, a little um, elderly. Siru um, or something like, weird like that. Siru yeah. or something like that. Um, yeah. Looked insane, looked like our kind of movie. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, um, it, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the movie right now, but it definitely had a John Wickie feel to it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, come on, Kevin. You're just excited because you're going to the premiere of Cocaine Bear after the show today, right? Y- yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, with, with that, let, let's, let's, we, we've got, we've got a lot of things going on. But, Kevin, why don't we introduce our guest um, for, First and foremost, returning, he's going to be joining us for the whole episode. Of course, he is a great friend of the network, uh, an amazing author, including uh, Fearful Symmetry, the book on all things Highlander. Um, he's been joining us and will continue to join us while The Last of Us goes on because we're all loving that. Of course, it is our good friend, John Mosby. What's Hello, up, John? People. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? Good to see you, sir. How are you? How are you in your echo chamber? Not too bad, not too bad. Like everybody, I've been a bit under the weather, and in Iowa, under the weather means about you know minus thirty-five degrees, full of sinusy and frostbite and stuff. So but you're I'm literally under the weather with snow. Literally, literally <laughs> like most of America is. But yeah, so I've dragged myself from my sick bed uh, that I've spent most of the day in, and uh, not not uh, not fungal, but enough to you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to make sure we didn't have any fungal action going on because we yeah. know that isn't good, but. Kevin, we have another guest to join us for the show because we've got something to talk about because it's the return of a show that has been missing from the Fandom Podcast Network for a little while now, but it might be on the comeback. So let's bring in one of the hosts of Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast, Mr. Tom Caldwell. Good evening. Hey, everybody. 
Thank you for having me. It's really cool to be here with you. Well, we are gr great to have you. Um, now, you're here because you've got a big announcement about what's happening with Good Evening. Yeah, we have been on a hiatus. We took a break. And we are coming back with a vengeance to do our final four Hitchcock films, wrapping up their final four episodes of the Good Evening uh, podcast series. And so March 3rd, we are dropping our Torn Curtain episode. And uh, back with Brandon Shemutala and Chris Haig and myself. And we are so excited to be back and really looking forward to wrapping up the show. We will, um, we've been in the production with you guys since 2017. The, by the end of it, we'll have done 89 episodes. We'll have done 52 Hitchcock films, 13 of his TV episodes. So it's really an exciting time to be part of our production. Yeah, you guys have basically covered the whole library, haven't you? We've covered all his films. So that is in itself is a, a, an achievement. That I'm, I'm really proud as a film fan to be able to say that we've completed that task, right? That's sort of a, a lifetime achievement thing as a Hitchcock fan, to not only watch all of the films, but to produce a podcast on each one. And then we did 13 of the TV episodes. So those are the TV episodes that he directed, because a lot of the Alfred Hitchcock Presents and the other TV shows were guest directors with his name on them. I had a question for you. You have a very, you, you, you've covered Alfred Hitchcock extensively and that's quite a feat, but I'm kind of curious what kind of interactions or fun interactions can you share that you've had with other Hitchcock fans regarding your podcast? What, what has this show done regarding that process? Um, as a constant promoter of the podcast, I'm always telling people whenever I get a chance to watch it, because we're literally a small production. Every viewer counts. And if I ever run into anybody that's in film production, I talk to them about Hitchcock, I always get the same response. What an amazing influence, what an amazing director, what a big deal he is to everybody that works in the industry. And I even have a, you know pals at work in that that will keep track of our show and listen to the show. And you know we'll sit at work and talk about the pod, you know, about the film of the month or whatever. So it's um, it's been very rewarding. And my favorite part is during one of the tapings, talking to Chris and Brandon and revealing things that I never realized about a film before and learning from them live on the microphone. That's very rewarding. I had one other one I just wanted to follow up with here. Every franchise has got that one movie or one or, or episodes that are kind of like yeah but it's hard to think that alfred has something like that because i'm not a huge fan of his but i'm familiar with his work and and how you know how um many people look at him as inspiration has there been any work that you've covered on the podcast that is kind of like maybe not your favorite or like and, and how did you deal with that if so Brandon, um, our founding producer, the creator of our show, Brandon loves to hate Mr. and Mrs. Smith. So pretty much every episode he refers to that. And again, like I, I refer to what we did as shoveling through the coal to get to the chocolates, right? So we didn't pick and choose and say, I want to do the good film, the good film. We did every single film. And so in the beginning, things aren't always perfect. 
And he did the silent films, the British films that then came to America. And then he had the blockbusters. So once he does the blockbusters like The Birds and Psycho, the films after that might not have as great a reputation, but it's like that they knocked him out of the park. Like Psycho, for being like, no, what, it's a 1960 release, recently came out in one of the articles on the web as the greatest film ever made. You know what I mean? Like it gets such a high reputation that his average work kind of, I don't know, it suffers a little bit, but I don't know. I enjoyed most all of them, so. Well, let me ask you, John, because you have actually been throughout the entertainment industry and known people. What have you have you ever had anything where you've had to talk to people about Hitchcock influence or anything like that? Not directly, but I think it's one of those things that always comes up. Uh, you know, you ask any um, director, sometimes actors as well, anybody in the industry. There are very few people that everybody agrees are influences. And Hitchcock is always, almost always cited by people as one of those influences. You know, it, it's very rare that there is a name in the industry that everybody cites. You know, everybody will talk about Spielberg or whatever for certain types of movies. But for, for simple longevity and things like that, Hitchcock was one of those things that his movies, the secrets of why his movies work are the secrets of why movies work. You know, he's, it was not one of these one-trick ponies. He, he didn't just do a single thing. He he moved, you know, he, he moved his way through in, in a way there was an evolution in his work, but all the things that people use today, I'm, I'm sure Hitchcock wasn't the first, but he was certainly one of the first most effective. And I think that so much of his work is timeless. You could sit back and watch a Hitchcock film today and... Apart from, apart from maybe you know the, the quality of the image that you know which has increased on the technology level, all the basics of the stories absolutely work today. And there's very few auteurs that you can say that of. I think. Yeah. Now, now Tom, you, I mean, when, when when I think about it too, Kevin and Tom, when we go back, uh, the um, Good Evening podcast was one of the first new additional shows to the fandom podcast network so you know you guys have been with us almost since launch i think you guys joined us within three or four months of us launching the network so you know you're yeah. one of you're kind of one of the founding shows here so we are we are we are so happy you guys are coming back and getting to finish out the show and the project the way you want to and we are thrilled to have these final four episodes coming can you give us a tease of what is going to be in these final four episodes tom well, between, um, of course, Brandon Shea Matala and then Chris Hague and myself, we will be covering Torn Curtain coming out March 3rd. That one's in the cam. Um, Topaz in April, Frenzy in May, and Family Plot in June. And we drop our episodes first Friday of the month. And I like to tell people, you know, we're a fun, friendly, free podcast. We've got 85 episodes just sitting there on the internet waiting to be listened to. And of course, on uh, through Fandom Podcast Network is a really quick and easy way to find them. And again, like we totally appreciate your support over the years. And, you know, it's one of the nice things about a production like this where we're just sort of a casual, you know, we're all volunteers kind of thing. We're producing it out of literally our basements, right? 
um, we just decided to take a break. We took a break, and now we're coming back. So uh, it'll be a really exciting four months to wrap up our series. Yeah, well, we are very much looking forward to it. We've been, it's been an honor having you guys on the Fandom Podcast Network. And as Tom said, if you go to fpnet.podbean.com, you can find the whole catalog of Good Evening and Alfred Hitchcock podcast. It's been an education for me listening to you guys do this podcast, and I've learned a lot about Hitchcock I never knew. So um, I want to thank thank you so much for that. Um, do you have any final words about what about these final four episodes? I'm looking forward to taping them. You know what I mean? Like we don't we don't do a lot of scripting. We're kind of improv. We're kind of casual. So I really cherish the time that we spend recording these shows. And that, for me, as a film buff, is a rewarding part. And hopefully, the listener, when they listen in, can kind of get a, a, that same buzz, that same boost of knowledge, and increase their enjoyment of the films. So that's awesome. what we're hoping to deliver. And um, again, we're just really, I'm so excited to say that we did it. Like we got there, you know, it's been a long uh, journey to get through all the films, but it's been very rewarding. When Kyle and I started this uh, uh, fandom podcast, you know, we were kind of deciding, you know, how, what direction we wanted to go. And we were fans of so many things. We're like, well, let's not just have one podcast talking about everything let's create a network and be able to add shows to this. And I just want to say it's been an honor for you to be on our, uh, on our network and, and contribute to it because it, it's just one of the many cool shows that shows the many different types of fandom out there. And I love that uh, you guys covered Hitchcock because it's such a cool, cool niche of fandom that a lot of people look to. Yeah. And uh, I just want to say thank you for your uh, contributions. Oh, for sure. And I'll, Obviously, I'll I'll pass your uh, words on to Brandon and to uh, Chris and uh, those guys. I want to say thank you again also to Pat McFadden, who's our fourth producer, um, the man who knows exactly enough, as we call him. So, um, <laughs> but no, yeah, it's been uh, it's been great being part of your network and like like Kyle and I had a coffee visit online a while ago, and we we're talking about there's nothing saying we won't come back and do some other shows or some additional Hitchcock content down the road. Um, you know, the sky's the limit really for what we can do now that we've established the, the brand and the, the network uh, connection. No, um, I'm just, I just want to close out by saying, if you have not listened to this podcast and you are a film fan and a fan of Hitchcock, this is film. This podcast is a masterclass on all things Alfred Hitchcock and you you need to check out these guys do a phenomenal job with it and it's it's absolutely wonderful Tom we're excited for these final four episodes the first one will be here March 3rd on the Fandom Podcast Network and you can be find it on all your major podcast catchers I know you are a busy man my friend and I know you got other things to address thank you so much for coming on and hyping up the show the return of the show we're all very excited May I wish you gentlemen all a good evening. And a good, good evening. evening. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tom. Thank we you. will see you soon. Um, try to stay out of showers. I hear they're kind of dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Tom. Take care. Thank you. See you, Tom. And with that, we are, Kevin, extremely excited about uh, Good Evening returning. Dave have has been a massive undertaking project for those guys, and they've done a phenomenal job. And yeah. it's Alfred Hitchcock, who is a legend. But we have a lot of other things, too, to talk about on this episode of Culture Clash. 
and then we're going to kick things off. You know, this, we're talking about a kickoff because we have Super Bowl trailers to discuss. We, we, are, we are going to do a little trailer parking, Kevin. Yeah. So obviously the Super Bowl ha- was just a couple weeks ago. And one of the biggest things that always happens on the Super Bowl is the premiere of major movie trailers. And there was a lot of interesting trailers to come down. I'm just going to round run down the list here real quick. We had the new Ben Affleck, Matt Damon movie air, which tells the story of how Michael Jordan came to Nike. It actually looks kind of intriguing. Of course, a movie that is coming out this weekend, cocaine bear by directed by the great Elizabeth banks, Creed three, Jonathan majors take over of the year of 2023 continues. Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. We'll, we'll come back to that. I, I want to get your guys' thoughts on that. Uh, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 maybe might be the biggest Marvel movie this year. Kevin, I know you got your hat, your bullwhip, your leather jacket, because Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Um, because we need more ridiculous car stunts in our life. Fast Fast, <laughs> fast 10 is here. <laughs> um, hey, 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 hey. It's all about family. It's yeah, all about that's, family. That's right. Yeah, maybe the most talked about trailer of this bunch, and we'll c- come back around to this as well, is The Flash, Scream 6, and of course one I'm actually very intrigued by because it is the people who did the Bumblebee film and not Michael Bay, um, Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Now, John, you put out on Echo Chamber an article talking about some of these mm-hmm. trailers. What were your highlights of the Super Bowl trailers? I mean, like you've said, the, the the Flash was the one that got everybody talking, largely because, it, <laughs> let's be perfectly honest, the, the whole Flash movie leading up to this has been something of a train wreck, you know, in the PR department. Um, so most people were, you know, a few months ago were talking about, is the Flash going to be released? Then you get a trailer like this, which which has done a fantastic job, I have to say, of turning that around um, and making it look like it's a film of consequence. Whether you like what's happening with Warners uh, and DC or not, this is going to be an important movie. It, I don't know whether it's going to be good or bad, but the early, early industry talk about it is that it's very good. And the trailer sells that um, largely because it's not just the flash in there, but we have Batman. And yeah. that, that, that was the chill down the spine moment for people of my age. I think it was a chill down the spine moment for a lot of people. James Gunn has gone on record saying this might be the best comic book movie he's ever seen, Kevin. But come on, let's be honest. We're all in this for the Michael Keaton, aren't we? <laughs> yes, most definitely. We we want to see Michael Keaton back. Uh, he said it. I'm Batman. But we have, as, as John said, we have Batman and Supergirl and a bunch of other stuff. So it's one of those things where we've been hearing about it, hearing about it. We've been hearing about Ezra's, Ezra's problems and wondering if that's going to overshadow. But uh, I think that <coughs> this movie is probably, in a certain way, probably one of the most important movies in a very long time. Next to maybe Infinity War, Avengers, and Endgame, the way things kind of came together because of what they're planning on doing with the DC world going forward. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a big deal. Yeah. I think I, I think because I think this movie is going to lead into how they're going to get into James Gunn's kind of DC universe image that he has. I think there's a lot of things with the Moose's movie that are going to have an impact going forward and affecting even the remaining DC films that will be coming out later in the year. Aquaman two, anybody, but yeah, 
I was very impressed by this trailer. I'm ex I, I am legitimately excited now to see this film because I'm curious to see how they're going to pull this off. John, it's, it's, oh, sorry, go ahead, John. No, I was just going to say it's interesting in almost in the way that it's almost the reverse of Marvel. What Marvel did fantastically well, and which DC failed to do, was create a blueprint of momentum uh, that's built up to to Infinity War and Endgame. Endgame for me is is the benchmark of superhero movies because of the emotional investment as well as the as the visual effects. What he's doing is almost clearing the board with a big spectacular. And then starting off, so it's almost a mirror image, you know, reverse image, reverse flash image of uh, of what you know, of what Marvel did. DC are basically starting off now with a, with a, you know, wiping seems to be wiping almost everything out that's gone before with a massive movie, and then we'll see what happens later. Marvel worked up to it. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and I find it fascinating too that DC has kind of created these two different universes, you know, obviously the main DCU and all of these movies and TV shows have been announced. And then there's that, what do they call it, Kyle? The alternate DCU? Else, elsewhere. I keep yeah, forgetting Elseworlds. Yeah. Elseworlds, sorry, yeah. Which allows you to say, to kind of do these other things, but still in the DC universe, but elsewhere, Elseworlds timelines. And I think it's kind of a cool idea because, if an Elseworld timeline, I guess, hits, then maybe you can find a way to get it into the DCU. I don't know, or vice versa. Um, I think it's a it's a big swing, and it, I think it's going to be very interesting. But I had a question for you, John, because I was reading your article on Echo Chamber where you talked about the um, uh, Super Bowl movie trailers, and there was four that you highlighted. That was Indiana Jones, The Dial of Destiny, War, of course, The Flash, and Guardians of the Galaxy uh, 3 and Creed 3. Uh, what was it about those four that you wanted to bring to the table and discuss in the article? Were those personally your favorites, the ones that you think that will, you know, really be interesting towards fandom? What, what was your um, your thought behind that article? Part of it, part of it was it was it was a schedule. I wanted to get stuff up as fast as possible, and those were the, some of the first things that that came out. I was going to do another one the following day, and to be honest, there was just so much happening that I figured that these were the four that people seemed to be the most interested in. Now, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, the Fast franchise, it doesn't do a lot for me. I understand why it works, um, but I can sort of, it's one of those things where, you know, I can watch an, a, a film, that one of the films, and they're all interchangeable and instantly forgettable. And I don't mean that this is necessarily a bad thing, because not everything has to be deep and meaningful. Um, but there is definitely a market for it. Uh, so it was one of those clear ones where you turn around and say, okay, that's going to get, no pun intended, a lot, a lot of traction. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, it's the last James Gunn Marvel movie before, obviously, his, his DC uh, slate happens. So those, those were, were two of them. Indiana Jones, you can't ignore the man in the hat. He's back. He's, you know, he's part of, our, you know, part of our youth, uh, whatever age you are. Um, so, it, it, and, and The Flash, obviously, you know, one of the biggest movies. So those seem to be the, one, the sort of four that a lot of people are gambling on. They may not be the best films of the year. In fact, I, presumably they probably won't be, but they may be commercially successful. And I think people, there is a market for them. People, you know, will like them. Um, and those seem to be like the pillars of the summer. Lots of other interesting things out there. 
Well, speaking of, uh, as we you know wrap up this uh, this trailer talk here, I have a graphic up here showing the projective date of a lot of these films that are coming out this year. Is there something that you're just really excited about, John? It just tickles your fandom that you're like, I can't wait for that to come out. I'll, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. There's a, there's a hand. There's a handful here. Cocaine Bear. I have to say, just from the trailers <laughs> and from what I've been hearing about it, is that, is that was not the answer I was expecting. But no, I love it, John. But, but, it's, but it's the secret is it's not like anything else this year, and that's sometimes the most refreshing thing because if you look at a lot of the things out there, almost all of those are template movies. The template works but you know pretty much what to expect. I have no idea what I'm going to think when I watch Cocaine Bear, but the idea and the trailer alone is making me think, I have no idea, which makes me want to see it. And that's that's an alternative selling point. I mean, I'm looking at uh, everything else, and I can pretty much tell you what's going to happen in all of those movies, either because they're remakes or because the trailer's given away so much or because they are Marvel movies or they are movies that are part of a franchise. I I tend to look for the things that are not part of a franchise to be the pleasant surprises. And for that, if you look at all those, there are so many franchises there. Cocaine Bear just stands out as one of those things. Of going, <laughs> yeah. Why, why not? Um, I want to pay one quick note on this list though, Kevin, uh, the Marvels has now been moved to November. Yeah, mm. that's right. Yeah. Well, Kyle, so, didn't you want to say I forgot before I forget, didn't you want to say something about Dungeons and Dragons? Okay, guys, I, I I've watched the trailers for this. This movie is not going to be a great movie, <laughs> but is this movie going to be a fun movie? Because it looks like Chris Pine is turning on his Kirk charm to ultimate levels in this film. Mm. And, it, I, it, and it, I'm just getting that vibe that this movie could at least have a, a an underlying sense of fun. It might not be a great story, but Chris Pine might actually carry this movie to at least being watchable compared to previous Dungeons and Dragons films. Possibly. What do you think, John? Uh, it depends how self-aware it is. The trailer doesn't sort of tell me whether it's, it's kind of, it's, I don't want it to go like full Deadpool, but I, but it would be nice to have a film that's kind of aware that it's playing to a template. There are some good self-deprecating jokes in the trailer I just don't know about the movie, whether it will work on that alone. But Chris Pine is a guy with a lot of charisma. So he, you're right. He could absolutely carry this. And but it just does feel, feel like a film that should have been made over a decade ago. Um, I'll, I'll, a quick question while we're looking at this list, guys. Um, what do you think would be might be end up being the biggest bomb on this list? Because there's one that just is flashing out to me like a red look. Red light, Roxanne kind of thing here, and I'm just going. Yeah, I have a bad feeling about this movie. Aquaman. Um, Aquaman. <laughs> no, I, I can't. I can't give Momoa a bomb when you have bring back the same director. But I, it's close to Aquaman. I'm looking at December fifteenth and Wonka. Wonka. I know yeah. nothing about that. I, I mean, I, I've heard, that it, but I, I couldn't. I haven't seen uh, an image from it. I haven't seen anything. Honestly. I think he's overdoing himself. I'm going to go Oppenheimer. I, I I can see that. I cannot. I, I just. See that. It's going to be. A black I don't know if we want to see too. another. It's Nolan, right? Yeah, it's Nolan. Do we want to see another Nolan-y type movie where he tries to out Nolan him, himself? And I, the trailer, <laughs> it's based on a very interesting part of history. But the trailer just isn't doing it for me. I'm sorry. Nolan <laughs> is very much a Marmite director. I admire him on a technical level. 
for what he does. Yeah, does in almost all. There's always something in his movies that's interesting. It's visually oh, awesome. Exactly. But, but for eighty yeah. percent of his movies, I'm sorry, eighty percent of any individual movie, I'm bored. Uh, you know, and I'm I, I, I'm going like, oh look, that was technically well done. Oh, that was wonderful. But you know, when you see like Tenet, I'm going like, oh, I wonder how they did that. You've seen that three times, and I need yeah. someone to explain it to me still. You, I, I can't explain the plot. And secondly, <laughs> I'm sat there going, how did they do that? That's yeah. not what you should be saying in a movie. You should be thinking about that afterwards, uh, and you should be accepting what's happening. And he's a technician, but he has no organic soul to any of his movies. Okay, Re yeah. real quick then. I'm just throw out the let's, I'm throwing out the Batman films. Yeah. <laughs> what is, outside of the Batman films, what is your yeah. what would be your favorite Christopher Nolan film? Inception? No, definitely not no. Inception. I like uh, because, Inception, but I will I'll tell you why I hate Inception. It's a film about lucid dreaming that has nothing to do with lucid dreaming. It's re it's yeah. virtual reality. As yeah, it, he completely misunderstands what lucid dreaming is. Um I'm trying to think. I mean, I'm a big Dunkirk it's the fan. Batman, it's the Batman movies that, that that are the saving grace because you know the Dark Knight is superb. Yeah, but it, I find him a little bit like he's better on a completely different level than Shyamalan. But I just know exactly kind of what I'm going to get each time, mm -hmm. and it's he's very good at doing that one thing. But he's done that one thing so many times that I'm bored of it now. Dunkirk was pretty good. Yeah. I, I, I would say Dunkirk. Yeah, not great, me. but on a on a technical level rather than a than a, an emotional level for me. But yeah, yeah. no, I think I, I think that's all mm. fair. But it's going to be an interesting year of movies, Kevin. It's going to be good. I'm glad to be able to return to the movie theater. Um, yes, I know. I know that um, some people <laughs> might be saying, "What? You're not talking Quantum Mania?" I have not had a chance to see it thanks to COVID. Um, damn you, COVID, for breaking my Marvel streak. No, we'll talk no, more. But thank you, COVID. <laughs> 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 well kevin and i will be talking about ant-man and the wasp quantum mania on an upcoming episode of true believers so keep your eyes peeled for that i hope i can remember <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm gonna go see it this weekend so i hope um, i can forget <laughs> <laughs> but we know john's john's review of of it but speaking no it's speaking, it's not awful it's just template no well, that's maybe an accusation people are having in Marvel these days. But mm. spe speaking of seeing things, I think it is time, Kevin, for a little buy it, buy it, buy it, stream it, stream it, stream it, or unsee, or unsee it. it. Now, of course, if you listened or watched last episode of Culture Clash, you know right now we're kind of in a little bit of a special buy it, stream it, or unsee it because we're putting a heavy focus on The Last of Us. But we have John here, <laughs> Kevin is here, and of course, you know. We are big Star Trek fans here. And of course, the new Federation show here on the Panda Podcast. You know that. But we have John here, and we have a very big deal in the Star Trek universe that just premiered last week. The second episode was just yesterday. I have not had a chance to see it. We might have a few spoilers. In fact, you, you know what? Before we go any farther, I think I. We are going to be talking about Picard episode season three, episode one, and Kevin might even throw out a couple little quick spoilers about episode two as well. But um, I think it's safe to say we've all enjoyed Picard. Um, John, you put out a great article on Echo Chamber about Picard. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I, I've I've you know, been wanting Picard to succeed all the way along. There's some people, you know, who immediately came and and 
came out sort of trashing it when it came out. It's a very Marmite show. I, for the first two seasons, I think both of them started off fantastically well and then got completely um, mixed up and, and lost momentum. Too much stuff was thrown in together. Um, so I, to, to see it revert in some ways back to the, the strengths of the next generation, I think is, is, is a good gameplay. Uh, we'll see whether it um, keeps that success going but for certainly the first episode uh hit all the markers you know directed by doug arnie who uh i've spoken to many times over the years great guy and and, and a real go-to director now um yeah i thought the, the, i think most people agree that the, for this first episode of the, of the third and possibly final season um it's pretty good i uh had a i want to ask you a couple of things regarding the first episode mm-hmm. Uh, the next generation and a, a quote from your article that you have up there on echo chamber says uh, the scenery is quite glorious lighting and framing contributing as much as post-production. The tech is impressive and the pace of the opener rattles along nicely referencing a number of Trek classics TNG episodes to light one and all, but not so heavily as to distress those less familiar with deep dives into the original show. And I wanted to ask you about the uh, uh, production design because you gave it a high mark. You gave it a nine out of 10. Uh, you, and I want to bring up one particular thing that I've always brought up in our shows ever since discovery has started is the lack of bridge lighting. Everything is dark when it comes to certain rooms and dark on the bridge. And they, they kind of carried this over in this one as well. And it's been a little bit of a pet peeve of mine because I miss the brightness of the uh, TNG original Enterprise D set, all of the well-lit uh, hallways and stuff like that. But watching this first episode and the second one, it definitely feels Star Trek. Uh, so many moments of it. But I wanted to ask you to kind of dive into the uh, the production design a little bit. I didn't know if you had the same reservations I did, uh, but it, it, it's something that's definitely worth noting. It, 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 it's absolutely true that modern TV, for all that it's high techness, which is a word, um, that it does seem to be dark. Now, sometimes that I think that is a literally a technical thing of there is so much detail that if you absolutely light everything evenly. Uh, you can see the seams, and so often it's down to the the, the underrated um, technicians that handle the lighting um, that that kind of hide those seams. It's a double-edged sword. Um, I think, and again, you know, to, to quote, you know, talk about Dugania Koski, he frames things well, and for me, that was part of it. I, I wavered between like an eight and a nine for, for that particular element of of, of scoring it. Um, but I think the mixture of good direction and interesting lighting makes it work. I think a director has to work with the lighting department and the production design side of it very closely for everything to come together. Uh, but I do, I mean, I, I take the absolute point that that's the, the next generation was very much a better, you know, not a better lit, but a brighter lit show. Um, I think we, we just moved to a trend that is, is less so now, much more moody lighting. Um, but it's interesting that, that it feels very much like the next generation, a new series of that rather than a Picard. And I, that's not to slight some of the interesting stuff that happened in previous seasons, but it, but it, as I say, the pacing 
was the problem for those. I think this is the, the, I think this has gone back and said what went wrong or what didn't people like as much. Let's go back to the to the greatest hits, and that could be a winning move. I think. I actually have one question for you, real quick, John, because I brought this up in our episode of Union Federation that covered Picard season one. How did you feel about the fact that Beverly Crusher has finished the finishing school of Ellen Ripley and Sarah Connor? <laughs> <laughs> Jason McFadden has said openly that she was not particularly happy with with you know her last appearances uh, in the franchise and really didn't have a lot to do. And I think she campaigned. I think when she was being courted to be back on this show, I think one of her things was, "Well, it better be worth me being here. I don't want to be part of you. Know, I don't want to just be a plot device and then you know standing around." doing stuff so i think that was part and parcel of it definitely in the first episode that she's given her due and gates mcfadden you know has always been a capable very good actor but by the same time wasn't always given the best stuff to do in the series and certainly not very much to do in some of the movies so it's interesting that she's pay, uh, she's playing a, a fairly pivotal part so far it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, as the season goes on but certainly the first episode gives us a kick-ass stuff i, I don't want to say too much about the second but there's at least one moment in the second that that she she really sells. Um, but yeah, it's great to see it's great to see a character that frequently wasn't used to the best effect taking center stage. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to viewer uh, uh, Proc, uh, Protector Security says ter- showrunner Terry uh, Metalis is putting in tons of Easter eggs from previous Star Trek, including from his previous show Twelve Monkeys. Well, uh, Kevin, I'm going to pretend I'm not here for a minute because I know you've got some questions. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm I'm going to I'm going to keep it not too spoilery because I'm going to avoid one of the questions here. Uh, But in the second episode, Disengage, we get to see more of uh, Jack Crusher. And I wanted to get your thoughts on on him here because you gave your review is up today on uh, Echo Chamber and um, you gave the acting an eight out of ten. Uh, including one of the the guest stars here. But I want to ask you about Jack here a little bit here. And there's a reason why. You say, as for Jack Crusher, played by Downton Abbey's and Outlander and Aragon's Ed, is it Spaliers? Am I saying that right? Yeah. Spaliers. With uh, more to do this week, we see that he's a fast talker and charmer with something of an infamous rap sheet. Uh, And you compared him to like uh, a... who comes across as a less libido-driven version of Doctor Who's Captain Jack Hartness. Well said, by the way. So I want to ask you about his type of character because I wanted to know, is is he trustable? Is he a lovable rogue? Is he the outrageous Akona everyone? We got this lovable rogue back in TNG episode here. And of course, yes, for you Star Trek fans there, and Lois and Clark fans, that is a young Terry Hatcher being wooed, being wooed by the outrageous Akona in this episode. Are you getting those vibes or is he just a bigger troublemaker uh, for Jack Crusher? Uh, the problem is all of the above. And it's going to be interesting to see which one they pick. And I hope they pick one because it, right now, my resident, I mean, I don't dislike the actor, don't dislike the, the character per se, but it does feel like he you know he ticks tick box tick box tick box tick box and he seems like he could be wanting to be all things i they've gone the problem is in previous seasons of picard and on other shows you sometimes have uh, a check that kind of checklist and really what you have to do is is decide early on at least in the writers room what this character is even if you're going to play with it a little bit 
I don't at this point. I don't know, and I don't think we know. He's he's played as the kind of Han Solo ish almost, you know, like he's a bit cocky. Uh, he's got a smart mouth. He's you know, got a heart of gold underneath all of this because you know he's willing to you know to to not go down you know to to make sure other people are safe. But he's got a smart mouth. Um, maybe you know it'd be interesting to to work out his lineage and and see you know where all that comes from. But at the end of the day, there's too little information and too much kind of stylistic stuff at the moment. I I don't dislike the character. He could be great fun, but I don't think we know enough to make a judgment call yet. I hope there's more to it than a list of character quirks. That's the only thing that I'm, I'm worried about at this point. Well, you ended, uh, and I'm not going to give spoilers for the second episode because it's still fresh and it's still new. And my co-host hasn't seen it yet. He's been a slacker. That's all right. But you did end your article uh, saying this episode the second one, um, it's disengage. Is that disengagement? Yeah, I think disengage. it's called. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you said this episode uh, might not have the attention that the premiere episode did, and the pace is arguably slower. But on the strength of these two episodes, Star Trek Picard is making all the right moves to re-engage its audience. As said previously, judgment on the complete season and its degree of success and structure will have to wait another couple of months to validate. But this season certainly seems to be playing to its strengths. And I got to say, when I read this, I immediately brought back to when I was watching the second episode and it ended. And I'm like, oh, I don't want it to end. <laughs> but I knew it was coming. Well, uh, and you I know what I'm talking about because you're was, right. It is playing to yeah. its strengths. <laughs> I was talking I was talking to um, uh, uh, Peter Briggs uh, uh, on Facebook and, and I made the comment when he, when he was he was talking about it that this feels so so far like it could be a, a Star Trek, a really good Star Trek movie that's been divided up into obviously I think it's a 10 part um season now for me not every episode has to be hitting the the nines and tens all the time the same way that every minute of a movie doesn't have to be you know flying by the seat of your pants edge of your seat stuff that has to be connected tissue um this feels a little bit like quite a bit of like the connective tissue coming in it feels like maybe the second 15 minutes of a, of, of a Star Trek movie whether that works as a metaphor whether how much you expand on that to make it for 10, 10 hours or nine hours uh rather than two hours uh of a movie i don't know but this feels like a perfectly good second installment even though it's not in some ways as good as the first because not every not every episode can fire in the same way it doesn't mean it's not an important episode it's just it plays slightly different pace uh, pace wise and tonally and it, and what it does i think it does perfectly well i i've seen uh before we, we, you know we wrap this up here i just want to mention that i've seen people say yeah this is tng uh season eight or this is a like mm. you mentioned it's the other movie that we should have gotten yeah. or movies so yeah mm. <laughs> now i have i yeah I, I've been impressed with what I saw in episode one. I'm going to be watching episode two when we finish up here. I'm, I'm actually very excited about it. So, and I know that we will be putting out a new episode of Union Federation as well to discuss um, Picard season three, episode two, with uh, our great crew over at Union Federation. But before we start digging into our fungal collections, <laughs> it's time to tell everybody what is going on around the Fandom Podcast Network. So we're going to step away for a minute. I think this Kevin guy is going to tell us what all the other shows are on the Fandom Podcast Network. 
Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Here are the other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. Culture Clash, where we discuss the latest in entertainment and pop culture. Blood of Kings, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theater, we celebrate our favorite movies. And Time Warp, our fandom flashback show discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie, TV, and pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Hair Metal Podcast, we cover the rock metal music of the 80s and early 90s. Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, discussing the time-traveling Doctor Who universe. Lethal Mullet, an action film podcast, covering the 80s, 90s, and beyond. Also, check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, our Star Wars podcast. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast, with a deep dive into the final frontier. The Fandom Show, our Fandom Podcast Network live YouTube show discussing the hottest topics in fandom. The True Believers MCU podcast, discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Television Universe. Union Federation, our Star Trek and the Orville show. And we're proud to welcome the BQN Network to the Fandom Podcast Network. Please visit our friends on the BQN Network, a Star Trek Universe podcast that also includes your favorite topics, movies, history, superheroes, and more. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on YouTube. The Fandom Podcast Network is also on all major podcast platforms. Fandom Podcast Network audio master feed is on Podbean at fpnet.podbean.com. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. And welcome back to Culture Clash Live. We have been covering a variety of things in fandom, including the return of Good Evening, a Alfred Hitchcock podcast to the Fandom Podcast Network. We talked a little bit about the Super Bowl movie trailers, and we talked a little bit about the season premiere of Picard. But it's time to get to, into the thing that I think, Kevin, has been the biggest thing in fandom and will continue to be maybe for about another week when Mandalorian hits on March 1st. Well, that's going to be an interesting thing to see how that boils out, but... I know what the most everybody is talking about right now, and it's one of the reasons we have the wonderful John Mosby with us. It's time to talk The Last of Us. Of course, last episode, we talked episodes one through three and our thoughts on those amazing episodes. We're continuing uh, as we continue with the next batch of episodes, episodes four through six. And Kevin, I got to say, my favorite episode of the season to this point was probably in this batch of episodes. Yeah, it was a good arc of three episodes. It did a lot of world building as well, answered a lot of questions, and uh, specifically the world building. That's the thing that for someone that hasn't played the video game, going in with a fresh set of eyes, and John, I know you're more familiar with the game than I am, Mm -hmm. but I really enjoyed the different perspectives that we got from, were they villains or aren't they? You know, and what's going on, of course, with Joel and Ellie as well. I, it's, I mean, jo, Pedro Pascal, you know, uh, if, you know, there are shows out there that he protects small people who could be the saviors of, you know, of the world. <laughs> it's a whole new genre. It's a habit. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the first episode we have is Please Hold My Hand. It, episode, it uh, aired February 5th, 2023. Kyle, what you got? Uh, traveling through Missouri, Joel and Ellie are forced to take a detour through Kansas City, where they are ambushed. Joel kills two of the bandits, but a third overpowers him and nearly chokes him to death before Ellie saves him by shooting the man with Frank's pistol. More bandits find the bodies. Their leader, Kathleen, believes Joel and Ellie might be in contact with a man named Henry and orders a manhunt. 
Joel counsels Ellie about the firefly and gives her the pistol back. Kathleen's second in command. Perry thinks he has found Henry's hideout, but there's something growing under the building. Kathleen orders it kept secret until they can scout a way out of so they can find Henry. Joel and Ellie, Ellie sleep in a high-rise apartment for the night, hoping they can find a way to scout uh, to scout a way out of the city in daylight. They awaken to find Henry and his younger brother Sam holding them at gunpoint. Now, Kevin, I just want to say this was a very interesting episode of this show because this is an episode that really didn't it had ties to the game, but it introduced us to characters in a roundabout way. And John, I know in the last episode you were on, you mm. talked a little bit about this, the fact that they've introduced some new characters in this episode to bring us to characters we were familiar with. Mm. And I thought they did a phenomenal job in this episode of bringing in these new characters and using them to kind of bridge this interesting part of the story of the last of us. Yeah. I mean, that's what this show has done very well. I, I mean, I know I've said to you a number of times that the problem, one of the fundamental problems of doing a show like this is which audience do, do you cater for more? The one that's familiar with the source material and have been eagerly you know, waiting for this to happen or the people who are coming in absolutely cold and they've threaded the needle perfectly but uh, well, you know people's opinion of the show will differ but on a technical level they have really walked that line by keeping so much of what was so good about the game what was so good about the game that made it ideal for an adaptation but also saying well hold on a second let's we can add more to this we can give context um uh, and caveats to to some of the things that happened and yeah, in in, the, in this arc, as it were, you are you are introduced to characters you do meet in the game, but they very much contextualize the history, a little bit of the background of those characters to make us care even more by introducing characters we didn't meet in the game, but really drive it forward. And as you can see there in the bottom right, uh, the character of Perry, I think, I'm not sure how many people know, but that's Tommy in the game. He's the actor who provided the voice of Tommy, Joel's brother, in the game, a number of, of little sort of cameos and caveats, uh, cameos that they've uh, dropped into the production. Um, and it's just wonderful to see really good actors come in and do wonderful things, you know, for maybe one episode or two episodes. Um, and it's it's really just good to see the show not... It, it could have been stunt casting if it wasn't done as well, but we end up being really interested in all of the characters that are coming in. And that's, that's something of a big achievement, I think. And to highlight uh, these characters in your article for this episode, you said we were introduced to a character not featured directly in the game, Kathleen, the leader mm -hmm. of the city's free citizens who have overthrown federal forces in the recent months and have ruthlessly paid them back in kind, killing anyone who collaborated Kathleen is played by Melanie Linsky, who, whose diverse career has included Peter Jackson's Heavenly Creatures, over 60 episodes of Two and a Half Men, Castle Rock, Drive, and most recently, Yellow Jackets. Mm -hmm. And I just realized and found out, because I had never seen Heavenly Creatures, and I'm mm -hmm. kind of curious about it now. My wife had seen it. She says it's a good film. I first remember Melanie from two and a half men playing the quirky neighbor that kept uh, climbing, climbing over Charlie's fences mm -hmm. you know, and giving some sage advice. If you want to call that just found out she's from New Zealand. No idea. <laughs> Apparently the best yeah. Americans are played by non-Americans, uh, which is kind of becoming a trend now, but I'm a huge fan of hers. Uh, and she 
knocked it out of the park in this. And you also found out that she was kind of sympathetic as well. Yeah, I um, mean, Melanie, it's just just a st stunning actress. Whatever she's appears in, it's it's worth seeing. Yeah, she's she's kind of riding an apex mountain right now between being on The Last of Us for this arc and being on the hit show Yellow Jackets right now because a lot of people are talking about that show too. She mm -hmm. she she is she is hitting it perfectly. And the thing about this, and uh, I've read online where people have kind of compared her character a little bit to the governor character from the early seasons of The Walking Dead. Mm -hmm. She comes across more evil to me. She, she's like, this woman scares me. <laughs> it, 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 I don't know if I would agree that she's more evil. In fact, I would say the exact opposite. The re she's far better than the governor. Not, not, not to uh, you know to uh, you know to decry that, but but it, but she is somebody who is aware how damaged she is. She's not a maniacal. I'm looking for power. She's looking for payback. She, as as we discover in the next episode. Um, why she's doing what she's doing she comes across as in this episode as quite cold and sinister but even in this episode there's something to her she's not enjoying being who she is um and we discover why in the next episode but she doesn't like being who she is she doesn't like having gone through what has got her to this point but she is saying i will do whatever i feel is necessary given what has been done against me and the people I care about. Um, she's not sympathetic would be too strong a word, but, but she is a, a damaged character aware of her damage and has become ruthless. And that's the most interesting, dangerous. It's not that she's, you know, there's no huge redemptive arc. She's not misunderstood. She knows exactly who she is. And, and it's, 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 it's that nuance that, that works really well with her actions. I think. Melanie is a really good actress, uh, married to Jason Ritter. And uh, I, I want to give a shout out. If you're a fan of the uh, sitcom Ghosts, she did a film in 2021 that was released and I watched it. And it was hilarious. Uh, Co-directed by Justin Long, also co-starring co Judy Greer. It's called Lady of the Manor. And I mm -hmm. highly recommend it. It's very, very funny. Uh, but I, I'm just slowly kind of starting to get pulled into her, her work here. And she was phenomenal in this. And I was very, uh, very happy to kind of see why she was doing what she was doing. I was kind of kind of sad to see her go as well. So <laughs> say that. But um I wanted to one other thing I wanted to ask you about this episode, uh John, was the the bond between Joel and Ellie really start to strengthen in this episode. And you kind of, you mentioned that in your article. Yeah, it, I mean it's it the whole arc of the season is really two people who uh have been really crapped on in life and lost or, or have been left behind by people who um, have had a fundamental effect on them. They, they are all dealing with loss. Uh, and the show itself is dealing with loss and love and, and the good and, and the bad that comes out of that. It's inevitable that these two people traveling together are going to have a bond of some kind. I mean, yeah. inevitably, in some, in some ways, definitely inevitable on narrative level. Um, but it, it, yeah, you, at some point you've got to have that chipping away of the armor just a little bit and the show doesn't force it. There's not some, like some huge moment and they're suddenly the best of friends, you know, the, it's just a little chink in the armor, a little, you know, a little cut, a little break. 
uh, and some common denominators. And I think the show, some people have criticized the pacing, but I think when it comes to at least this level, it, it's playing it out really well. You know, that these two people don't are starting to have to rely on each other to survive. They don't necessarily yeah. have to like each other, but there is that growing respect. Uh, it's a different kind of family, but it's it's growing slowly, and I think that's important. Yeah, it's been fun to really watch us in these little kind of comedic moments as well between them. But Kyle, we got the next episode that we have to discuss here, and you, of course, released another uh, good article about this. It's called Endure and Survive. Take it away, Kyle. Henry and Sam make a tentative truce with Joel and Ellie. Joel wants to part ways, but Henry proposes they escape the city together using underground tunnel routes that only Henry knows. Joel hesitantly agrees, but Henry confesses to Joel he was responsible for the death of Kathleen's brother, turning him over to Fedra in exchange for medication for Sam's leukemia. After escaping through the tunnels, the group is attacked by a sniper from an upper story window. Joel sneaks up and kills him, but finds out he was radioing Kathleen, who arrives with her milita before Kathleen can kill Henry. A horde of infected emerge from underground, including a large bloater that beheads Perry and a child clicker that mauls Kathleen. After the group escapes to a motel, Sam shows Ellie he was bitten on the leg. The next morning, Sam is infected and attacks Ellie. Henry is forced to kill him, but then shoots himself. Joel and Ellie bury them and set off on foot heading west. Kevin, this has been my this episode is my favorite so far. It has been, I think, the most emotionally powerful episode. And it handled one of the most emotionally powerful moments in the game incredibly well i think john you agree with me on this <laughs> now i have to t- i have to explain a little something here i originally put in my review that uh, the important aspects of of the of this episode differed when it came to the fate of the characters uh, oh this is this is slightly embarrassing i love the game but there was a glitch in my game uh <laughs> and the various cut scenes that you get of which the the scene you're talking about is obviously you know the acted scenes where you're not <laughs> you know, actively in control. I never saw it. And it jumped from the point of uh, after the sniper in the game to afterwards. And I went, why aren't they around anymore? Oh, uh, wow. I guess whatever. Um, and it was only when somebody corrected me during my review that I went back and had to check and stuff. I went, I went oh my God, how did I not know this, this, this had happened? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was that was you know hugely embarrassing, but I just there was a glitch on the game. It, you know, it automatically bypassed the 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 the, the connective tissue scene for some reason, uh, and I had to go back and I've actually started playing the first game again, uh, the, <laughs> the PS4 version of it, and going, yep, it's there. I was stupid, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it. You say it's your favorite episode. I think it's a lot of people's favorite episode because it ticks ticks all the boxes that you need for things that you like, but not in a way that feels like, you know, checklists. It's got the big, a big action sequence as big as you're going to get on a show like this, you know, not as comparable with world war Z, but or world war Z, but, but, but as close as you're going to get, you've got character stuff and you've got a really emotional beat at the end. So I'm not surprised that a lot of people are citing this as the one that showcases everything that the last of us does. Well, (laughs) Kevin, I actually have a quick question for you too. Before we, in this episode, we in the game we we see him sooner, but we get our first look at a bloater, and the visual effects on this were again. This show is just nailing it across the board. But I got to ask you your opinion on the bloater. You know, it's interesting because 
they've been using the the zombie aspect of this and i kind of want to i'm glad you asked that kyle because i want to turn this to john in a second here that Obviously, I, I've heard of the bloater before I actually saw the bloater. And when I saw the bloater, I'm like, that must be the bloater. <laughs> you know? uh, and but what I like what this show is doing is that um, they're not just throwing these um, these zombies at us. They're teasing us, whether it's one kind of stuck in the rubble and Ellie like kills it with a knife in the head or you you see the floor go up and down and then they give it to you in a little short scary spurt and when you think about how they're portraying them it's terrifying these type of uh zombies have terrified me more than any other thing with the exception of a certain few scenes and as you mentioned john and i want to get your thoughts on this is World War Z. Mm. And I was a big fan of the book. And you say, quote, the last of us made character developments priority, but it does remember here that one of the hooks was the monster quotient that gives us some of the firefight that many fans have been waiting to see. After we see the ground flexing last week, we now have all the hell breaking loose. Uh, there is There are a raft of successful zombie films and shows that tackle the threat in various ways but the scale of the undead plague was probably given its biggest panorama by 2013's World War Z. It also gave us like the fastest zombies too, which was mm. really, really scary. And this is a scene. Uh, was this the Jerusalem yeah. scene with the helicopter here, John? Yeah, that's that's the the I think that's the big memorable thing in Jerusalem where they got the the dead are piling up and, yeah. and going over the wall and stuff. It's it's terrifying, really. But I wanted you to kind of uh, elaborate more on the comparison between the zombie moments of the last of us and the other zombie uh, moments from other series and movies. And most recently we have the walking dead, mm. but I really think they've done a good job with this series of knowing that there is a huge threat out there, but also man itself is its biggest threat. That's that's what the show is about, and it's you know it's a bit like when you talk about science fiction being a mirror to modern day. You know, the, the most effective science fiction is when it showcases something real, but does it in a fantastical way. And definitely, this show is about relationships more than anything else. It's about family. It's about the, the the pros and cons and the negatives and positives of of love and what people will do for it. But but in some ways, it it has to you know remind everybody so every so often. It is a yeah, got up fantastical element. It's not zombies. We keep saying the word zombies, and I know that you know the production people have said they're not zombies, they're fungus people. Um, this is <laughs> the I think this what the what particularly the big action sequence in uh, <clears throat> excuse me in in this shows is that it's handled very differently from The Walking Dead. Due respect to The Walking Dead, that you know that that was a, a landmark TV series, but was t was tired towards its end because people were staggering around and it was like you know i can outrun you know nine out of ten times these threats it's only when they're on mass that they're they're really dangerous what this show has done is said an individual one is part of a kind of collective hive intelligence you know fungal intelligence so they're all deadly and now in this episode you have you know li almost literally all hell breaking loose and coming at you from every angle so it it, it really ticks that box of the action element, but a very different danger than the kind of more slower paced walking dead menace. The little contortionist uh, 
fungi girl, scariest yeah. one I've seen in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but I it's did one before. To- I was going to try the day with the Salem, the, the, you know, the, the kid knocking outside the window in Salem's lot. It's just like, oh God, yeah, don't yeah. be that freaky. Okay, so before we leave this episode and go on to uh, the most mm. recent one, I want to talk about uh, Henry and Sam here. Wonderfully acted, wonderful moments, and yet when we see what happened, it just is heartbreaking. I wanted to get your thoughts and dive a little bit deeper into Henry and Sam here. This this show, I, I think I put in one of my reviews. I can't remember. I, I, the last line in one of my reviews I put, uh, one of the early reviews, is this this show will break your heart every week and still have you coming back for more. Um, yeah. uh, and it will, and it does. It, it yeah, I, and it caught me. But I mean, I suspected you know, there's, as it leads up to almost an inevitable point. But again, I hadn't I hadn't seen this bit in the game, so I wasn't sure what they were going to do. Um, but yeah, it's heartbreaking. Um, and it's very human. Again, it's going back. This is the strength of the series. You can it's it's about people, it's about what people will do for love. And the, the very fact that you know that, that that Ben and Sam have made mistakes in the past. You know, Ben has has um betrayed people, people have died because of, of his actions, all for the love of his brother. Um and you know, and he expresses regret for that. But then, when everything's torn away in the last, you know, the last few seconds, his reason for living is gone. Um, and and it's it's very primal. People say, you know, it's a bit you know, nihilistic, and uh, but it's imagine you were fighting for somebody, and that person goes, everything has gone into you know to, to protecting his young brother, and it's gone. It's it's horrible, but it's brutally kind of honest, and it's another way the series looks at loss. Yeah, when you talk about the scene in particular and having played the game and remembering the scene, mm. and you add into the aspect when, you, when you've when you played the game, when this scene, ha- right, the, the point of the game before this tap, this event happens mm. in the game, you are on such a high stakes mission within the game mm. and level within the game where these two characters, protecting these two characters is so important. And then to have the rug pulled out from under you by the fact that Sam gets infected and then Henry is the one to kill Sam and then immediately kills himself Mm. in this is just, even in the game, it's gut wrenching because you Mm. become so emotionally invested because you've protected these characters. And what the show did so well is the aspect of giving you that same feeling that you're emotionally invested in protecting these characters and these characters well being, And then have that is just, it's, it's a gut punch but in the same aspect, you're like, this is the world that the show is in and nobody's safe. So fans of the game and the TV series that are familiar with the game, they're getting like gut punched twice. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but but, but, but it, it's one of those gut punches. And I, John, I'm curious if you mm. agree with me on this, is that because they are doing such a phenomenal job of adapting the game into television, is it you, you watch it because you're like, how much are they going to pull off of this? How how far are they willing to go? Because there's always mm. that thing where, you know, sometimes a video game will take a more of a chance than a TV show will. And The Last of Us is not holding back its punches, quote unquote. Mm. I love that they they've they 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 take footnotes and turn them into songs. You know, they 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 will. There is very little in the series that isn't isn't in the game in some way. 
you know, even uh, the, the the Frank and Bill stuff is referenced in the end. There's nothing. There's very little that's come in, in that's completely new. It's all part of expanding what was already there. And I think they, it, it, it tears your heart out. But it is. I think the fact is, it's the game is so cinematic that it doesn't feel almost like they're adapting the game. It feels like somewhere there is this source material and somebody made a game out of it and somebody's making a series out of it. You know, it's not like if you talk to people who haven't seen it uh, and you say it's a, it's an a, a adaptation of a video game, you can see the shutters coming down. <laughs> um, it is. And if you look at the track record, there are very few successes. Yeah. Yeah. So, but this one is not, I don't think its strength is that it's a great video game adaptation. I think it's a great idea that was a great game and now is proving it can be a series because the game ex- is so, so cinematic. That's an excellent way to put it. It's so funny when you were describing that. Oh, it's an adaptation of a video game. People's eyes are like, exactly. Are you? No, no, no. Just, 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 just so you know, John, if you talk about adaptations of video games, if you mention Super Mario Brothers, Kevin's eyes get bright as stars. Kevin, and <laughs> I, I have to ask Kevin then, have you seen Pedro Pascal's, um, the, the Saturday Night Live sketch with Pedro Pascal, Super Mario? Yes. <laughs> I want to see that movie. I want to see that movie. <laughs> I, I am uh, uh, a huge apologist for the uh, 90s live action film with Lee Guzamo. Uh, and um, oh gosh, trying to blank now. Um, yeah, Bob Hoskins. I love that film. Uh, a lot of people hate it, but I love it. And <laughs> I saw that skit that Pedro did with the kind of like Mad Maxi version of uh, of Super Mario Brothers. I thought it was very, very funny. Um, okay, so as we go into the next episode here, John, um, we learn a lot. Next episode is called Kin. This is episode six, the most recent one. Kyle, take it away. Three months after Henry and Sam's death, Joel and Ellie reach a small, thriving community in Jackson, Wyoming, where Joel is reunited with Tommy, whose wife Maria is pregnant. Ellie learns about Sarah's fate from Maria. Joel confides in Tommy about Ellie's immunity and his own declining mental state. Joel asks Tommy to take Ellie to the Fireflies as he is afraid he cannot keep her safe. Ellie overhears him and confronts Joel, who insists they will part ways. In the morning, Joel changes his mind after remembering his daughter, and the two of them travel to Colorado on horseback. They find the Fireflies have vacated their base, possibly relocating to a hospital in Utah. Joel and Ellie attempt to escape a group of raiders. When one of them attacks, Joel kills him, but is stabbed during the struggle. Joel and Ellie escape the others, but Joel soon collapses and falls off the horse, leaving Ellie unsure how to proceed. Now, John, on this episode, and I, maybe I'm maybe it's been a little bit since I played the game. It felt like there's a little bit of fast forward through this thing where we may have. This is the point where maybe okay they took some points of the game and then and kind of just okay we're gonna overshoot those to get to this next step. It, I think you kind of have that same feeling. Yeah, there was certain elements, not as much as you think. Because uh, I say, having gone back and looked at the game recently, um, there are certain things that are just slightly reordered in the game. For anybody that, that that's not familiar with it, we are kind of we enter into this kind of part of the story with. Um, with with Tommy uh, and Maria and everybody uh, actually defending a like a hydraulic dam, so a lot of the action and the set pieces take place there, and you really only hear about uh, the, the township and the commune of Jackson um, almost secondhand. It's something that's featured very much in the start of the second game, 
And I have to say, looking at the way they visualized that, you know, the community, it's lifted almost exactly from the yeah. game. It's beautifully mm -hmm. put together in almost every detail. It's it's recognizable. But yeah, originally it was a lot was a big action set piece defending uh, defending the hydroelectric dam. Um, so they kind of re, re a lot of the stuff that happens happens as it happens in the game, but in a slightly different location, just a slightly different order with a slightly different emphasis. But I do like the fact that they've kind of, for anybody who is aware of the game or the, uh, the second game and, and those who aren't, there is just so much in this episode that's little nods forward, sometimes very subtle, sometimes more overt, but it's, it's establishing Jackson as a place that, there's no, no no spoilers, but we're going to see more of uh, with a second with a second season or, or somewhere down the line. They're establishing not just a, a community that's there for a week and gone. This is this is a you know this is detailed to the point that we're going to spend some time here eventually. We've had some great guest stars on this series thus far, and in this one we get uh, Rutina Wesley who plays Maria. Uh, we also get Gabriel Luna. Of course, we finally see Tommy mm. again, and we get a great little moment with Graham Greene as Marlon and Elaine Miles from Northern Exposure as Florence, which was great. Yeah. Uh, we could discuss them in a minute, but I want to, I want to get to the meat of this because this was very important. This is from your article. Uh, John mm. says you say. The Tommy we meet here is still recognizable, but arguably more complex, aware of his flaws, but now settling into a community where he's valued and where he, we find out he's now married to one of the community's councils, council and with a baby on the way. Joel openly wonders about how committed Tommy will remain to all aspects of the latest status quo. But on the flip side, Joel is also afraid that he himself is no longer uh, up to the job of escorting Ellie and thinks that it should be Tommy to risk all of his newfound responsibilities and go off on a dangerous mission to deliver her. Tommy, in one of those moments that hurt the most when they come from a place of family and truth, notes to Joel that, quote, just because your life stopped doesn't mean mine has to. Ouch. It's not entirely clear whether Joel's recent shortness of breath earlier in the episode is down to some underlying condition or the thinner air in the high plains, but it's an indicator he's indicator that he is battered and bruised and not as young as he used to be. It's also true that Joel still quietly fears he might fail Ellie and after losing his biological daughter, that loss might prove too much. I want to touch on um, this kind of new Tommy that we have here uh, and this new life that he has. And it, it, it's kind of, it kind of reminded me, John, of like meeting an old girlfriend that got on with their lives and maybe he's doing better than you or something, or, you know, you know, that type of thing. And you're like, no, nah, I got stuff going on here. And then weird stuff happens. But this was, this was another gut punch for, for Joel here. Yeah, I mean, he's some. I I like the way that he's kind of the physical side already. He's feeling more fragile. It, I mean, in many ways, it's it's PTSD. It's it's the strain of everything he's been through. But he's he doesn't want. He can't afford mentally. I think to lose somebody again, somebody who reminds him reminds him of of his daughter in many ways. Very different. There's you know, there's another conversation later on in the episode. 
Um, you know, I'm not your father. You're not my daughter. It, 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 but it, in many ways, she's the honest daughter substitute. And it's clear. And he knows it and she knows it. So mentally, he's he's very much in a way, a, way, a fragile way of saying, am I, is this going to do me damage? And more importantly, is Ellie going to get hurt because I'm not up, up to that? And on top of it, Tommy, you know, who who he's always kind of told people was the you know kind of the errant younger brother, the reckless one, um, you know, the one he's had to protect. And suddenly you've got Tommy having all these responsibilities, who's basically saying, "Look, I know how much you lost, but that doesn't mean you can deny me my life." And it is true; it's one of those things that you know, if it comes from the wrong person, it ends up in a fist fight, and if it comes from you know the right person. It could still end up in a face fight. Um, you know, I like the I like the fact that the, these two are brothers who obviously care about each other. You know, there's no moment where you're going; these two guys hate each other, as you sometimes get in dramas. These guys, you never doubt, love each other. That you know, they're brothers through and through. Yeah. But there is that double-edged sword to that, which means they know each other's buttons and they know the opinion that each of them has of the other. And Tommy has effectively has the upper hand here where he's going, I've got the things I want. You know, I know I've been reckless in the past, but this is worth fighting for. And you're asking me to give it up now and go and fight one of your battles. So hold on a second there, big brother, you know, what, what's going on here? I love the dynamic, which I have to say is another one of those conversations, which is taken from the game. It's, you know, it's the writing on the series is good, but this is, largely the dialogue from the game and one of the strengths of this episode is that so many of the key scenes are taken almost verbatim or certainly thematically from from the the game itself well let me ask let me ask you this because we see and i got a picture up here on youtube here of it looks like he's having a panic attack or something Mm. here yes he might have uh you know some type of chest pains but when I first saw this, I'm like, because I've seen panic attacks. I've lived with people that have panic attacks. And this, this to me just felt scream panic attack here because of the stress that he's under and being able to not, uh, you know, protect and guide Ellie to uh, the end game here, so to speak, to, to get her to this location. Um, it just seems like we, it seems like that we're seeing in each episode and, I wanted to know if the video game feels this way that we're just seeing a little bit of, of, uh, of Joel's life, just knock off a little, like he's losing one life. If he's got 10, he's just lost three in this episode type of thing. It just feels like he's just get, it's just, it's just wearing on him even more and more, whether it's physically, emotionally, it, I don't know. Is, is that something that you get when you get in a video game too? I, I mean, I, th- I think so. He's a character who's who's had every bad thing happen to him in his life. And in some ways, this is a second. The whole game you know, is his redemption arc to a point. But it also puts a huge amount of responsibility on him. You know, the lot, it's like, okay, this is, a, you know, I'm trying. I don't think he sees it as a chance to do the right thing until he does see it that way. But he sees it as so much responsibility of of um, you know that he's been on. I think this episode is where he's where the, where physically it manifests where he's going. I, I I I this would be a cost on me, and if it costs me, it could cost her her life, and I can't afford to lose somebody like that again. 
But of course, and those pictures that we we were just seeing of, of them there—that's kind of how the audience feels at the end of every episode. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh my god, what's going to happen now? I saw someone turn that into a meme. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, wait, waiting for Mandalorian season one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to add to that too because having done played both the game and watching the series, I think one of the things with the game when it comes to Joel in the in the game is you talk about it a little bit. It's about a man coming back to life, a man who, who had just, he had died as much as the world had died around him. And I think that the part of the story of the last of us part one is Joel being brought back to life, starting off with, this is just, this is just business. This is just about another transaction for him. Just another thing. And this girl kind of in a way becoming the surrogate daughter, um, and bringing him back to humanity a little bit. And I think that you're starting to see that here with the fact that he is having these panic attacks. He's having these anxiety attacks because he's having emotions again. And he was where he had basically turned off everything beforehand. And I think they're able to, I think this is one of the times where TV is able to express that kind of thing much better than the video game is capable of doing because you're dealing with a flesh and blood act actor here. I mean, the game did a decent job of it, but here, because you're seeing emotional and actual flesh and blood, you're really feeling it more. It's interesting that, that, uh, you know, the character of Rick in the walking dead says in both the comic and the series, that the walking dead are not the zombies. They're the people. Yeah. And interestingly, in some ways there's a kind of echo of that in the last of us. It's the last chance for these people. It's the last of us, you know, against them you know, against the world. So in some ways it's one of those titles that you start to realize means more than one thing as, as the series progresses. Uh, and I, th- yeah, again, I think you're right. The, sh- the, the, the game was phenomenal in its character development, but there is something about live action, you know, you know, Gabriel Luna, I think does an even better job with that, that scene with, you know, with Tommy, uh, you know, and Pedro Pascal as Joel, it, there's a real fraternal. You really feel that. And this episode is full of those moments. The one you know comes later with 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 Joel and Ellie. Uh, you know, it's it's those lovely character moments this time around. I think. I just want to say, as we wrap this up, it's so nice to have an HBO show that's like a water cooler thing. You know, on a Sunday night. You know, we we had that, of course, with uh, Game of Thrones and. Back in the day, you know, uh, with Sopranos and what whatever it is that came out, and it's there's just something when you do a show right, whether it's you know based on a video game or whatever, and it gets the production value that a show like this has, mm-hmm. and it hits all of the emotional chords and gets us invested. I don't even play the damn game, and I'm like sucked right into it. You know, I love it. I absolutely love it. it. I, and and I I'm, I'm not gonna spoil anything uh but i will say that the next you know, the other final you know back three episodes are very much to the beats of the game now um yeah it's it's if you've seen it in the game chances are it will be in some way shape or form in these in these final uh three episodes that the next week's is uh, um yeah ne- ne- I, I, next week it's a, a lot of it, it's a flashback next next yeah. the next episode ne- ne- let me put it this way though next week's if if you thought you've been through some emo- emotional gut punches to this point mm. next week's could get you in a totally different fashion without giving spoilers 
If you if you Yay. haven't played the game, <laughs> next week's is going to get you in a totally different way, and that is the beauty of the Last of Us because but, it but, will come but look forward because remember the eight, yeah remember the the eighth episode is the musical episode, so that's okay. <laughs> James James Monsters comes in, and it's it's great. It's yeah. <laughs> Let's do the show right here. You know, it's um, no, but you can almost get away with that with a show. But it's um, it no, it's it's. And I'm looking forward to reviewing the season because I think that will be a different type of review than reviewing the episode. There's so much to say about particular scenes and how well they're lifted from, from the, that and how the character, the dialogue works. And, and that we're not talking about the zombies. We're not talking about the fungal, you know, in fact, we're talking about character and that's always the sign of a, of a good show. And it's going to be interesting to, to view that as a package of nine episodes rather than necessarily the strengths of individual episodes, which have all been very strong, I think. But it will be it will be interesting to see, I think, definitely. That, that reminds me, John, John brings up a good point about reviewing this as a season as a whole. But I have a question for you, Kevin, because mm. I'm, I'm it's something I've been thinking about with the show because the show is phenomenal, but it's, it's also a very dark and very emotional show to watch. Where so far is The Last of Us ranking on the Kevin rewatchability scale? You know, it's interesting. Shows like this, I I have to kind of marinate on them a little bit. Yes, uh, if you've listened to me long enough here on the Fandom Podcast Network, I rate shows based on rewatchability, movies based on rewatchability, which is why I've got a bunch behind me that I all find rewatchable. Uh, However, there's certain shows in movies that I really enjoy the ride, but for whatever reason, I might leave that ride alone and not revisit it, but still think about it, you know, and, and know that I enjoyed it. One of the movies that was like that, that I own, but I, it's hard to watch is Schindler's List. But every now and then I'll build up emotionally to watch that movie. Uh, because it's just so damn good, but it's so depressing. This is one of those shows I'm going to wait and see, but the performances are so damn good. I might want to go back and maybe, maybe pick an episode here and there and watch it for these moments, these relationship moments, these acting moments, not necessarily like the action fungus zombie moments. So to answer your question, Kyle, it's a wait and see for me right now. But I love re-watching the newest episode if I know specifically we're going to be talking about it because I always kind of pick up something new from it. I think there's some wonderful things that, that people have said are in early episodes that are referenced in later episodes that you don't even realize and you'll mm-hmm. want to go back and look at those scenes again. But it, it'll be yeah. a while for me as well. I think I want to see it as a – I want to binge watch it again at some point. Yeah. 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 And just, you know, HBO continues. HBO is is the standard bearer for for quality water cooler television. I don't even think it's close anymore. FX FX gave it a run for a little bit with some very good shows, but HBO just continues to put out show after show after show after show. And I I just think they've become the kings of it. And I'm thankful for it. And I'm thankful for the fact that we still, we thought a lot of us felt like after, um, Game of Thrones, we weren't going to have these kind of shows anymore, and we still do, and I'm thankful for that. And, you yeah. know, I, I think we live in an age of really good shows. Right now, I, I'm watching, you know, I'm watching Carnival Row, I'm watching Last of Us, 
Uh, I've seen some of the episodes of The Nevers, unlike 99% of the population. Um, uh, you know, and that's fine because you know, they're not missing anything. <laughs> but, it's, um, but, but there is a really, there is, I said this on a, on a different podcast not so long ago. I think there's something for everybody now. And that makes it a golden age of television for me. You, you want something, there that's is something point. out there that you can feel passionate yeah. about. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think especially with the way we're we're set up to get our entertainment now, whether it's through cable streaming, however, there's there's so much out there, and there's so many people fighting for our viewers that they they're making content that just covers everything. And I I think mm-hmm. that's it, one of the reasons why we are in this golden age. But this has been a great episode, as always. Um, John, thank you so much for coming on again to talk The Last of Us. Um, you had said when it came out that you wanted to definitely come on for it. So I know mm. you're going to be back when we wrap up the final three episodes as well. This has been a, a lot of fun to talk about here on Culture Clash. And a reminder, too, to all of our wonderful listeners and viewers out there, if, especially if you're watching on the YouTube channel or on Facebook or Twitter on those feeds. Um, if Go to our YouTube channel. You can find videos of all of our shows that we do. Um, give us a like, subscribe, share it out to your friends. Um, visit our master feed at fpnet.podbean.com where you can find all of our audio podcasts, including some of our shows that are exclusive to audio only. Um, real quick, too, before I forget, I was down with COVID last week, and I'm still kind of feeling the effects of it even in the, in the week, two. I've been a, a quarter step off. I've been just my energy level is still not right. Does it help? It is my busiest time of year in my life outside of this, which doesn't give me much leeway and so i just want to take a minute to really thank kevin because he has done a phenomenal job the last couple of weeks in producing this show our union federation show and just with notes and everything behind the scenes stuff well i've been really down for the count i never want to be sick like that again in my life thank i was you. feeling for you buddy checking up on you man so i just thank you. To, i appreciate it <laughs> i just wanted to make sure that people know that kevin really has been keeping the wheels turning on the here at fp net while i've been down and out and he always does a phenomenal job anyway but i mean he's just even stepped it up even more these last thank you sir appreciate it wanted to while we had everybody tell you thank you with all the listeners out there but of course too you can uh, find the fandom podcast network on all your major podcast platforms you can find us on facebook search for the fandom podcast network you want to email us give us your thoughts give us your opinions you can email us at fandom podcast network at gmail.com you can follow us on instagram at fandom podcast network on Twitter at FanPod Network. You can find myself on Twitter, recovered from COVID at A Kyle W, or on Instagram at A Kyle Fandom. Kevin, where are you on social media? Uh, of course, you can find me here on the Fandom Podcast Network. You can find me on Facebook or on Twitter and Instagram uh, at Spartan underscore Phoenix. Mr. Mosby, you are all over the place um, giving your reviews, so. giving your thoughts. Um, where can people find you on social media and on the internet? When I when I'm not suffering from Isle weather, the cordip virus, or just the, the stuff that I've got at the moment, which is everything, you can find me uh, on Twitter. There goes the day, and the reviews are up on uh, Echo Chamber dot online. Uh, I'm around all over the place, so yeah, just uh, uh, you can see you'll get to see me, the website stuff behind me. It's yeah, come come and see what I have to say and give me your opinion. I'm John Mosby on Facebook as well. So yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm like a, the fungus. I, I'm growing everywhere. <laughs> we, we we promise him treats and truffles, hoping he'll stick around and be on a few more shows <laughs> here with us. So you know, you know, we love having you on, John. You've been a great friend of the network, and um, we, we 
I've been enjoying being able to talk to the last of us. With I love people. nerding out with you, dude. It's always fun. Yeah, I, this is. I mean, I, I love the fact that we like we're interested in similar things. We have different opinions about them, but it's interesting to sort of get other perspectives and what something yeah. that you like somebody else might like for a different reason. Uh, I, I, I like that conversation. It's good natured, but it's interesting, and I hope it's fun for people watching as well. And I'm sorry, I'm just not that talkative. I'm sorry, I yeah. Hey, yeah. And it's okay that any, everybody universally hates the uh, 90s live action Super Mario Brothers, except me. <laughs> but I, I love Bob Hoskins. He can do no wrong. But, you know, that was close. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say he was slumming the decks because that would be wrong. <laughs> well, you know, there there are movies where he's seeing Denzel Washington's ghost following him around too. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, a special again, thank you to Tom Caldwell of A Good Evening and Alfred Hitchcock Podcast, which will be turning here to the Phantom Podcast Network at the beginning of March with their final four episodes. Again, what a phenomenal accomplishment! Them covering the entire Hitchcock film library and some episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents and a few other things that. Hitchcock has done. Um, it is again it is a masterclass on all things suspense without Alfred Hitchcock, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm so happy for Tom. I'm glad he's back. And uh, I love that he has that niche in fandom that he can share with us here on the Fandom Podcast Network. And, and finally, again, thank you to all of our wonderful listeners. Thank you to John. Thank you to Tom. Thank you, Kevin, for everything you do. Um, it's always fun to do these live shows and talk about what's going on. We will be back, of course, in a few weeks with the um, wrap-up of The Last of Us um, final three episodes. And we got a few other big things ca- coming up. I, the Oscars are coming up. Summer movies, are, the movie year is about to pick up. Um, oh, yeah, Kevin, um, don't we have something going on next Friday? Uh, yes. Uh, I, I believe I believe it's time for Mundo Watch. That's right. We're going to be doing a uh, live Culture Clash live Mando Watch on Fridays, uh, doing all spoiler uh, review of The Mandalorian. And so if you want to uh, join us in that, make sure you check us out. And also check out What a Piece of Junk podcast as well. On Thursday night next week, uh, we're going to be doing a live watch with them as well. And so we're excited about that. And then they'll release their audio podcast uh, later in the week as well. So check that out. I'm pretty sure the P in FPNN now stands for Pascal. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) A whole whole show about him protecting somebody. I just don't think there's a market for that. No, 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 no. but I, I, I am waiting for Mario Kart. So that that, that needs to happen. Make, make it John Wick, John Wick, John Wick. I can't wait for John Wick four. I don't care. I'm so excited. Hey, Kevin's already got suits in his closet. Suit up for Wick. Hashtag suit up for Wick. Go see, go see John Wick in a suit. That's what I challenge people to do. That's what I'm going to do. Well, until next time, first of all, thank you so much all for watching or listening. And as always, remember, to inspect each other and enjoy your fandom. We are out of here.